One stormy night, an elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel and asked for a room. The clerk said all the rooms were filled, as were all the others in town. But he told them, I can't send a fine couple like you out in the rain. Would you be willing to sleep in my room? After he insisted, they took him up on his offer. The next morning, after paying his bill, the elderly man told the clerk, You're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in the United States. Someday, I'll build you one. A few years later, the clerk received a letter from the elderly man asking him to come to New York with a round-trip ticket enclosed. When he arrived, he stood in front of a magnificent new building. That, said the elderly man, is the hotel I have built for you to manage. Like the wealthy businessman, God is looking for those who are faithful. Many of us would not be where we are today if God had not opened those doors. It had nothing to do with your intelligence. It had nothing to do with your skill set. It had everything to do with God opening the door for you. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Jesus offers comfort to those who are faithful. And this week, Charles Tapp shares the hope offered to the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation and what that means for his church today. As he continues with part nine in this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation with his message, He's Been Faithful. For the past several weeks, we have been on what some would call a, a very transformational journey as we've been going through the exciting book of Revelation. And although this book written by John while exiled on the Isle of Patmos is filled with cryptic language, mysterious symbol, and end time events, first and foremost, it has always been and will always be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when I say a revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm simply saying that it is through the book of Revelation that Jesus reveals the role he desires to play in the life of the church throughout its various ages, even to the very end of time. And as I said many times before throughout this series, and I feel that it begs repeating, and that is simply this, that when it comes to the book of Revelation, Revelation is not so much about the future and what the future holds as it is about the one who holds the future. And as we've been taking a very in-depth look at the, the seven churches of Asia Minor in the first century, to whom the book of Revelation was first given, it is this message that has prominently stood out above all the rest. It is the message that despite the onslaught of persecution that God's people had to endure from without and many times even from within, that Jesus was right there in the midst of it all with them being whatever they needed him to be. Sometimes they needed him to be the one walking in the midst 
of the candlesticks, while at other times Jesus says, I am the one who truly has the power of the sword, thereby meaning that I am the one that ultimately has the last word. And then there were those times when Jesus said to his church, listen, I am the one who has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It is the same message that the Apostle Paul articulated in his letter to the believers at Rome when he said, and we know that all things do what? Work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And the reason why Paul was so confident that, that all these things would work together for our good was because he recognized that Jesus was in the midst of all of these things, that he was that one walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks, meaning the seven churches. But if you and I are not careful, we can easily miss this message when reading the letters to the seven churches. And although these letters that were written to these believers of the first century were filled with words of warning, filled with words of rebuke and condemnation, at the very core of these letters, it is dripping with the immeasurable love that God has for his people. As a matter of fact, they represent, in my opinion, the divine blueprint on how to confront those whose performance or behavior has fallen short of what God has expected of them. For each address to these seven churches has pretty much the same template when you look at it. It first begins by Jesus establishing who he is and his relationship with his church. Then it goes on, followed by words of commendation, words of, of well-deserved praise, things that the church did well. Then it's followed by an evaluation that comes in the form of a rebuke where Jesus says to the churches that you need to turn away from this kind of behavior and turn away from going in this direction. But he does not leave them there. He then gives the remedy how they can make things right and to begin going in the right direction. And then lastly, each of the letters ends with this word where Jesus reminds us to take heed of the instruction that has been given with these words that he says at the end of each of these letters, take heed what the Spirit has said. Now, if this is not the perfect example on how to administer tough love, I don't know what is. Yes, it may be tough, and not just for the person who's the recipient of tough love, but tough love is equally and sometimes even more difficult, more painful for the one who administers the tough love. But, but nevertheless, when I read the letters to the seven churches, I see a message that comes to the surface, and that is that God has this immeasurable love for his people, and he is willing to do anything, go to any length to save them. The book of Revelation serves as a powerful reminder to the people of God that throughout all the ages of the church, and despite the impending danger that the church 
has faced, and will face that Christ has been, is being, and will always be faithful to his church. Who says amen to that today? And the message of God's faithfulness is more profound in his message to the church at Philadelphia than in any of the other letters to the various churches. For it is in the city of Philadelphia to which the church bears its name, they had the distinction of being the youngest of all seven cities, and it was located maybe about 25 miles southeast of that of Sardis. And it's interesting how they got the name Philadelphia, which means brotherly love or a better translated love for one's brother. It is when the founder of Pergamum, King Attalus II, was given this epithet of Philadelphias because he had so much love for his brother and his love was so powerful and made such an impact in the lives of the people that they decided to name the city Philadelphia. So let's go there this morning to the letter written to the church at Philadelphia. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and just keep your Bibles open there as we read verses 7 to verse 8. Look at what it says here. And to the angel, meaning the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, says he who is holy, he who is true. That word true means he's genuine, that he is the real McCoy, that he's not a counterfeit. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and what? No one opens. He says to them, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. In his letter to the believers at Philadelphia, Jesus introduces himself with these three titles. First, he says, I am he who is holy, meaning I am God for only God is holy. Then he says, I am true, meaning I am genuine. I am real. But then he adds this phrase, I am he who keeps, who has rather, the key of David. The key of David has its foundation in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. And it is reference to the one who has possession of the king's key to the storehouse. And whoever had the key to the king's storehouse had the authority to gain access to whatever was in that storehouse. And please don't miss this. By using the title and referencing it to Jesus of having the key of David, it is John's way of announcing that Jesus has full authority of the king, which is his father in heaven. It is the same authority, by the way, that Jesus claimed to have while he was here on this earth. In John's gospel, he said, listen, I and my father are one, John 10 and verse 30. And because of this authority, he has the power to open and to shut doors. Now, this phrase, open door, as we know, is a metaphor that simply denotes opportunity. So whoever has the power to open doors has the power and authority to create an opportunity for a path of advancement. 
And you hear this phrase a lot in business. People will say something to the effect of, I can open a door for you. Or I've got the power to open doors for you, meaning that they can give you an opportunity solely based on their position and authority and not on your own. When I was studying for the ministry in college, I'll never forget, it was our, it was our last year, it was our graduating year. We were studying for the ministry. A group of us came together and they began to talk about some of my colleagues of how they were guaranteed to get a job after graduation. And they based it on who they knew. And they went from one person to the next. Well, you know, my uncle is so-and-so, so-and-so. He can open doors for me. Oh, I've got you beat with that. My father is, and, and he can open doors for me. And they went on and on and on. And then all eyes turned to me. Now, mind you, I had not been in the Adventist church very long. I didn't grow up in the Adventist church. I grew up in the Baptist church. So I had been in the church maybe four or five years, and they turned to me. I didn't know anybody. And they said, Tap, who do you know? You know, a little smirk. Who do you know? I said, well, I know Jesus. And that stopped the whole conversation right there. How many of you know that God has opened doors for you? Amen. Amen. Listen, many of us would not be where we are today if God had not opened those doors. It had nothing to do with your intelligence. It had nothing to do with your skill set. It had nothing to do with your bank account. Have mercy. It had everything to do with God opening a door for you. Some of you walked through some doors in 2018. It wasn't because you had the right intelligence, the right IQ, you were in the right place at the right time. No, God opened the door. Here's what we dare not forget. When God opens a door, nobody can shut it. And when God shuts a door, you or nobody else can open it. I'm not here today because I was the biggest, the best, the smartest, the brightest, the most of anything. I am here because God opened a door, a door of opportunity, a door of responsibility. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus used the metaphor of keys, it was always in relationship to opening doors for individuals to come into the kingdom of God. And you know, the kingdom of God has less to do with a place as it has to do with the place that God desires and deserves to have in our lives. So the open door here that we read about in Revelation chapter 3 in reference to the church at Philadelphia is the opportunities that God is extending to these believers in this church to take advantage of spreading the gospel. You see, because of the city's strategic location being a gateway to the east, they had the opportunity to spread the gospel to regions that none of these other churches could. And if you know anything about real estate, if you've ever bought a house, you've learned this lesson either the easy way or the hard way, but you have learned it. And when it comes to purchasing real estate, people will tell you there are three things you need to consider. What's the first one? Location. What's the second one? 
Location. What's the third one? Got a smart group here today. It's location, location, location. Listen, the church of Philadelphia, they had a perfect location for the open doors to give individuals opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. And as I was looking at that this week, I said to myself, what about Sligo Church? Do we not have location, location, location? Is not where we are an open door that God has given us to give invitation to those to enter into the kingdom of God? We are in the heart of the nation's capital. Talk about an open door. Philadelphia had their open doors and God told his church, listen, I'm going to open doors for you and none of the opposition that comes up against you will be able to shut it. Who says amen to that today? You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, He's Been Faithful. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting 91.9, they'll definitely uplift your spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp shares the hope for the faithful by revealing what Jesus had to say about the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation and what it means for his church today. As he continues his message, he's been faithful. The Church of Philadelphia, they not only had the perfect location, but they also had the perfect quality and characteristic to be successful, and that was faithfulness. Revelation 3, verse 8, Jesus says, although they had little strength, they still kept his word and they did not deny his name. And their weakness is not viewed by Jesus as a liability, but rather it is seen as an asset for it acknowledges their dependence upon God. Scripture is replete with this idea from Old Testament to the New Testament, where weakness is not viewed by God as a liability, but weakness is viewed by God as an asset. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. In Isaiah 41, 10, it says, fear not, for I am with you, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. And my favorite In Zechariah 4, 6, which has always been one of my favorite verses of Scripture, where it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Listen, when it comes to living the Christian life, it's not about strength, 
It's not about success. It's not about security. All the qualities that the world applauds. But when it comes to the Christian life, it's about one thing, and that's faithfulness. I heard a pastor say once to me, he said, listen, God never asked you to be successful. All that God asks is that you be faithful. And it doesn't mean that God won't give you, it doesn't mean that God won't give me success, but he does it under his own terms. He will, but only if you and I are committed to doing it his way. Even when it comes to the opening of doors and extending those around us in our community, the invitation to become citizens of the kingdom of God. I want to share with you a quotation that I shared earlier it's from the book, Ministry of Healing, page 143. And I want us, when we read this, to read it together. Let's read. Christ's method alone will give what? True success in reaching the people. What's the key word in that first sentence? True. Because we can have success, but it may not be true success. You can fill a church, but is that true success? We can get people to come and be baptized, but is that true success? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. And then she gives this template. I love it. The Savior, let's go on and read. The Savior did what? Mingle with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he said what? Do you get that? Why is it we have it backwards? Why is it we say, follow me? First, Jesus did this one thing first. He mingled and had contact with the people. He had compassion upon them. And how could he have compassion unless he knew what their needs were? And then he met their needs. Not the needs that were perceived needs, but needs he discovered because he did what? Mingled with them. And then, and only then, did he have the right and the authority to say, come and follow me. And here's one of the reasons, not the only one, but here's one of the reasons why many young people, young adults, are leaving the church and just walking away from it today. Because they're tired of just worship services. They're tired of just preaching and singing. They want to mingle and reach the people. And when you mingle and reach the people, and you meet their needs, and you have compassion for them, then you can say, listen, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Here's the challenge. This takes time. We want success, but it's not always true success because we want it how? Immediately. True success takes time before anything grows up above the surface. It always grows beneath the surface and it takes root. And I believe just like the church of Philadelphia was called to be faithful to the open doors that God placed before them. Sligo Church in the heart of the nation's capital, in the DMV, we have perfect opportunity to reach the people for the kingdom of God. But we've got to do it his way. 
Church of Philadelphia was only one of two churches that did not get a rebuke, the other being Smyrna. And when God's people are faithful, it is then we experience God's faithfulness. As we close, let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have what? Kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. That's the great tribulation that comes at the time of Christ's second coming. Which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. In other words, those who have made this earth their home. Behold, I come what? Quickly. That word quickly means suddenly, not fast, but suddenly I'm going to catch you off guard because you will not know when I'm coming. So because you do not know when I'm coming, continue to be faithful that no one may take your crown. Now, there are two words for crown here. One is diadema, which is the royal crown, which the king would wear. But then there's the crown that is talked about here. That is the word synophonous which is the crown of victory. That's the crown that you and I could lose only if we do not remain faithful. I didn't say successful. I said remain faithful. Because when you and I remain faithful, Jesus says, I will take care of your enemies. I love how the psalmist David said it in the 23rd Psalm. He said, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I don't know about you, but God has prepared a table many times in the presence of my enemies. That's why I don't really get all that upset about those who try to come against me. And trust me, over the last 40 years, I've had individuals who have come up against me. I have individuals who have literally put their hands on me. I'm not concerned about my enemies. I put my enemies in God's hands. What do you say? And when you and I put our enemies in God's hands, he says, I'll prepare a table before you. I will make you successful. I will help you to persevere in the time of tribulation. Why? Because you are faithful. And all God cares and all God asks of us is that you and I remain faithful. For he who remains faithful in a little things or in few things he said, I will make you ruler over many things. And God says, I'm opening a door and no man can shut it. So while the door is open, God's people need to take advantage of it. But here's the thing when it comes to the faithfulness of God. In the end, it is not God's faithfulness that is on trial. It is your faithfulness and it is mine. In our scripture reading that was read earlier from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, one of my favorite stories, Jesus gives this parable about this unjust king and how this widow goes to him to try to get justice, but he doesn't give her justice. So she starts to beg, and finally he gives in and gives justice, not because of her need, but the Bible says because she wore him out. So he finally gave in. And then Jesus makes the contrast. And basically tells the disciples, your heavenly father is not like that. He's not unjust. You don't have to beg him. Your God is faithful. 
But let's look at the last two verses of that scripture reading in Luke chapter 18, verses 6 to 8, these last three verses here. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them how? Speedily, suddenly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The issue is not whether God's going to be faithful. The issue is whether you and I are going to be faithful. So when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? I just want to be faithful. For God is only coming for the faithful. Not the religious, not the holy, but the faithful. Do you want to be faithful? I know I do. And I pray that you do as well. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, He's Been Faithful. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. We're telling him we don't need him. We can do this on our own through our own righteousness. And what good is the Christian if they won't accept the righteousness of Christ? We'd like to think we can do it all on our own, but it's clear that without God, we'll never be able to measure up. And next week, we hope you can listen in as Charles Tapp continues with part 10 in this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation with his message, The Promise.